0: Welcome to episode 3 of Star Guitar Now, this week's guest You have just heard um, He very kindly recorded me The intro music a few weeks back Uh, It's a little bit of a song of his called Try to I Try, which was on his first album Show Me How the Spectres Dance Released in 2006 I am talking about Liam Frost Formerly of Liam Frost and the Slowdown Family He is a great, great songwriter From Manchester I met him around the time of his second album We Ain't Got No Money Honey, But We Got Rain uh, so that was about 2008-2009. He's been performing ever since, um, releasing Bits and Bobs with side projects and playing live a lot. And he finally released his third album, The Latchkey Kid, last month. Now, Liam has always had uh, beautiful, interesting guitars, and lots of them, as you're about to hear. So he was definitely somebody that I wanted to talk to for this podcast. So he was playing in London a few weeks back. I went along and uh, caught up with him then. So here goes... Episode 3 of Star Guitar.
1: hello there this is a star guitar and my name is liam frost so my f- my f- I'll, I'll talk about two early memories my, no uh, just one <laughs> no way man. no way <laughs> my first memory is of uh, my dad making a guitar for me out of kind of uh, you know plyboard plywood uh, and it's like a flat thing that he put some sort of nylon strings across and it didn't really make a sound and I remember um, miming to a Sheena Easton video on the chart show, along to it. I must have been maybe four years old. I was already singing by that point, And I, I, I think I've always known what I wanted to do. Um, did and you yeah, ask him to make it for I you? I did, yeah. I said, will right. you make me a guitar? And they cut out this like, sort of vague acoustic guitar shape, painted it white, and put some sort of, like almost like an Olympic white strat or something like that, playing nice. along to, I can't remember the song. I just remember Sheena Easton's name and it being on the chart show. Fast forward to high school, like a very big jump, and I had been singing for quite a while and wanted to learn to play the guitar as a tool for writing songs. And I, on a you know fake sick day from high school, uh, rang Berry Music Service inquiring about guitar lessons and forgot about it, and a couple of weeks later my, uh, my school music teacher, Mr. Hopkins, said your guitar lessons start next week, and I didn't have a guitar. I had maybe two two guitar lessons, three guitar lessons through the music service, and I was using the music teacher's guitar for the first couple, and then I bought a Honor acoustic, like a classical acoustic from Argos for 40 quid that I maybe got for my birthday, and then the guitar teacher broke his back, and there wasn't a guitar teacher across Berry Music Service, so I bought, back in like the mid-90s, they used to have the A5 chord booklets of like Oasis and Blur and Stone Roses, and and I think Bon Jovi and I was in love with a girl in year 7 called Sarah Lynch and she really liked Bon Jovi <clears throat> so I got the Bon Jovi A5 booklet and uh, so begun like a sort of two or three year obsession with Bon Jovi which <laughs> alongside like the the more tasteful line of stuff that was kind of out in the era but man, I, I loved that Crossroads album for a while. <laughs>
0: that was like the best of, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, and team. it had
1: uh, an Always, which was the sort of like best of attached single, which is a classic now. Um, did you learn that to try and serenade? Yeah, it didn't work. Push. God, I did some stupid shit in, in uh, high school to try and get girls to overcome like crippling shyness. And uh, yeah, that was that was how it started. A couple of years later, I got an Epiphone Les Paul from Johnny Roadhouse that I proceeded to try and decorate in like a sort of uh, mirrored mosaic style one day. Why? I don't know, so it looked cool. I'd gone full Mosher by this point. It was okay. like smashing pumpkins. I think it was leaning into that a little bit. Maybe yeah. there was less Moshery like a YouTube YouTube video where he had a mirrored Oh watch I it. Uh,
0: was it The Fly or something like that? It was Maybe. around
1: Acton Baby where he yeah, yeah. got mirrored. and Squire Strat Epiphone SG a whole host of like catalogue acoustic guitars all at the same time or were you sort of trading them and over a couple of years i remember i had the strat like squire strat that was covered in like nail glitter and stickers and a countryman like a countryman acoustic from argos there was an encore in there as well somewhere oh always yeah always encore Uh, it was terrible terrible guitar Uh, and that was kind of what i wrote my first songs on yeah maybe age 15 16 I started going playing acoustic Anarchy at the Star and Garter in Manchester mm-hmm. with this really shit countryman with a piezo pickup in it and there was this one song that they really loved uh, and it kind of got me into that world and that's you know as my as my PR always said early on like that was how I was, I was getting into nightclubs just being a unit and going to <laughs> acoustic anarchy and playing tunes
0: when, when did you um, well you said you always knew what you wanted to do but when did you think there was something that you could
1: do probably around then Right. probably around then I went to I finished GCSEs and didn't want to go and do a traditional A level probably through laziness and i just heard about this um, this course Access to Music which is like a nationwide thing now I think it's just called Access maybe uh, that was based in Sankey Soap in Manchester in that building and um I did an audition to go on that course, didn't require any grades, and I, and I was in. Uh, and that's where I was like, well, yeah, maybe I could make something of this. And I, I sort of, they were like, I did my audition, it was this one song that I wrote uh, that was in a, it was in like an open E tuning, but I tuned the low E down to a C sharp, and it had harmonics in it, and it was finger picked. I've been doing the same shit for like 20 years. <laughs> um, I've been doing the same stuff this entire time. <laughs> and were just like oh well you know you're definitely on this course so I think by that point I was like okay well maybe this is something I'm actually sincerely good at when did you write your first good song then you would, you would class as probably a 16. 16 yeah probably that that song I can't remember the title now but I remember that that was the tuning for it because I was just thinking the trust rod in this thing must be because it was a countryman I can't, I can't, they, they were called countrymen weren't they, it was like a thing across the head it was like the, the trust rod is taking a pasting on this I think that was when I knew. Uh, and on that course, I started like a, a punk rock band. And that was when I got the Epiphone SG. We had a song that really ripped off One Arm Scissor by At The Drive-In. It was like that was the era, maybe 2001, 2002, where that music came to prominence, really. Mm. Like Jimmy Eat World, At At The Drive-In, The Get Up Kids, Glassjaw, um, those sorts of bands. And then stuff over here like Fun- Funeral For A Friend. It was fashionable and I was easily led there was a scene for it so I tried it out but the entire time I was writing these acoustic songs as well
0: keeping them secret yeah
1: yeah not really playing them much but there was like a couple of tunes here and there and I I reconnected with uh, an old high school friend Becky Hill who was uh, she was at Derby University with these lads that that could record music and they came down here and one of them took a job at the Beeb and I think I've like got a National Express down to Wood Green and recorded my first like solo songs that became what was the Slowdown Family Um, and Paper Boats my first record was on there she painted pictures on it all with like the ghost of an American accent
0: right Okay,
1: Um, because I was still reeling from you know Funeral for a Friend and Jimmy Eat World and that sort of stuff
0: you very much don't sing with an American accent anymore you haven't done what happened with
1: that um we jumped, jumped forward a little bit more after that and I was starting to gain a bit of traction. I had a job at the Royal Bank of Scotland Credit Card Centre in Manchester, so I'd made a bit of money and I was like, I'm going to go and record like a proper four-track EP. And i just met Pete around that time, Pete Marshall, who's who's with me tonight. I'd opened up on some bills that his band was playing at and he put me in touch with this this guy, uh, Pete Troughton, who runs a studio just outside of Rochdale called Studio Studio. And I'd known of it because it was like where a few bands of that that era had recorded that so there was like there was a band from Bolton Kinesis do you remember Kinesis? I remember yeah so Kinesis recorded their stuff there Uh, and it was kind of known as like the good studio and he he had a decent set of ears and we recorded the four track EP that basically got me signed so it was like try 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 Um, she painted pictures is this love one more and that was that was where it started I just started handing it out everywhere and Guy got hold of it so I sent it to uh, City Life magazine, uh, which is like now just a, a fold out in the MEN. And there were a couple of people there uh, Leanne Steinberg, who writes, wrote for Music Week at the time, and Emma Runsworth, who now is a super successful author. Yeah, wrote just Animals. The, yeah, funny. Animals, which has just been uh, released as a film. And around that time, uh, I think that um, Emma and, and Guy Garvey were in, a, well, had been in a relationship, but were friends. And she went round with that four tractor guy and said, "You gotta listen to this." And then I, maybe you know a night or so later, I got this pissed phone call at like two in the morning, saying, "Liam, it's Guy Garvey. I'd love to put your EP out on Skinny Dog." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I was like, "Because a- I'd, I'd loved I'd loved Elbow for a long time, and you know, still do. Like the the like uh, the first record, like Red and Scattered Black and Whites, and." Um, Newborn, I, yeah, I loved it, and obviously they they were and are still the dons in the city, you know. Mm. Um, so it was it was it really knocked me on my ass to be in my uh, you know council house on the Kersal border of Presswich in my room that was still covered with posters of like a perfect circle and smashing pumpkins and all this shit, and then just like someone that was actually well known, like ringing me up to say they like my stuff, and then it just spun out from there. Leanne Steinberg from City Life wrote about me in Music Week, and then the labels got in touch, and that was it. By this point, I had Tacamine. Oh, right, okay. That I bought on an egg credit card. Well, that definitely shows a sign of. Uh, yeah. definitely dates it, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, sure. Know. Egg credit card. Yeah. Uh, it was really nice, actually. I ended up, once I started making money out of music, I gave it to a singer-songwriter in the city that was opening up for us, for the Slowdown family, quite a lot. Um, because I liked music and she had a guitar that had a terrible jack socket in it, so I just gave him a tack of me because I wasn't using it anymore. And I think she's still got it. Okay. Played it a couple of Are times. Are you gonna get it back? Or no, is it no? <laughs> I've got these these beasts, <laughs> yeah. Although I'm always uh like wrestling with the pickups in various guitars.
0: Um before we move on to the guitars that you've got sitting next to you, I just wanna ask you you mentioned that the guitar was um, something that you used to sort of overcome crippling shyness when you were at school yeah. is that something that carried on it was a bit of a you know like a, a crutch yeah, like a yeah crutch, sure. almost, almost like a conversation star as well I
1: guess I was talking about this recently I, I've got a greyhound and uh, I was out that's stomped. a dog by yeah, way. A greyhound, a greyhound acoustic, yeah a greyhound acoustic <laughs> Uh, it's a pawn shop vintage thing and uh, I was out walking the dog and was uh, speaking to another dog walker and I was talking about shyness and how I used to be particularly shy and how music uh, helped me to sort of overcome that and uh, my fellow dog walker said that she didn't really believe that for a second but I was and I'm still like, I I kind of feel like I've maybe got a bit of imposter syndrome I kind of walk into every situation like Soundcheck tonight like thinking, God Nathan, who's doing the sound tonight, I was like this guy must know I'm faking it. Like I still do it now. So in whatever situation I walk into, I feel uncomfortable. But music, yeah, I guess has has helped me sort of overcome that. I guess there's a there's a Nick Cave quote uh, from the film, the first film that he made, where he I think he he was speaking about Nick Cave, the artist, and then Nick Cave the the person and how it was kind of a mask that you put on but over the years the mask begun to calcify beneath mm. the skin and like I just, I, I always think of that like as I started to play play more shows I did this, this uh, tour with Stephen Fretwell that was just before I got signed before In the City which obviously dates that as well because now In the City doesn't exist and meeting Guy and seeing how these people had like that little bit of experience with the public in a sort of music setting and kind of almost mimicking them and as you start to meet more like industry people, um, I was just like kind of seeing how they were around other people, and I guess that's where I picked it up. And then it was like fake it till you make it sort of thing, I suppose. Just pretend to be a yeah, pretend person to be a Eventually confident person. And it become, becomes yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I was like you know, a slightly chubby kid with an emo fringe. <laughs> it was like, and now like I'm just like a big dude with a with a quiff, and it doesn't change. It doesn't change. I still feel <laughs> odd inside, but you just you just learn how to fake it i suppose more um okay so i can see
0: a resonator guitar yeah uh in my eye line <laughs> uh, a resonator guitar for anyone listening who isn't uh, familiar with that is uh, if you've ever seen the dire straits album um it's a brothers in Arms. brothers in it? arms yeah it's like the, it's uh, the romeo and juliet the, yeah the the national steel national guitar that is on the cover of that yeah um is a resonator um, I think blues musicians had them because they've got like an amplifying cone inside them. So before electric guitars became a thing, they were what blues musicians used in the thirties to get more volume, and they're sort of we say synonymous with slide guitar yeah, and blues so. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, so yeah.
1: So what have you got? This is uh, a resonator from a company on eBay. It's a guy that buys parts from overseas and puts them together but he's uh, sort of I think that they make them for various kind of not I, w- I don't want to say budget because they're still quite expensive uh, but for you know around the £600 mark you can get a resonator like this from various companies but the guy that makes them has a company called Icarus Guitars and he's based in Devon I think and he's just a really good luthier right. and knows how to put these things together and it's a really inspiring Sound to it like it's 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 almost because it's a full steel body. It's you kind of assume it's gonna have that tone to it, mm. but it's actually like it's quite woody I need to tune, but yeah. It's um have
0: you got it in standard tune?
1: Uh, open, G. open G. I mean, it's still out of tune. Okay. But it's it's, it's we'll got it's got a really really nice feel to it, and it's very comfortable to play. So, like fingerpicked songs feel slightly different on it. It's it's the newest guitar that I have, um, which is why I'm still wrestling as we spoke before with the the pickup and how to make it work in a live setting. When you get a new guitar like that, that has
0: got such a different sound, because you know, say, like you get a new acoustic. Yeah. And the differences are going to be subtle, if at best, really. But you get something like that, and it sounds very different to Mm. the stuff you've
1: got. Does it make you play different stuff and write differently? Yeah,
2: sure. Um,
1: There's a there's a a, when I when I play live specifically in in this setting that I play in, um, it's all about kind of dynamic and and light and shade and like trying to control the crowd with like vocal, I suppose, Uh, taking it down to whisper so you're like dead in the room, and this guitar kind of feels. Like the perfect tool for that. Like I can really take it down and play something pretty and a bit intricate. And yeah, that's that's what I feel about about this guitar.
0: Okay,
1: it's. Uh, I mean, if nothing else, it looks. Be- it would look beautiful hanging on a wall. It does. Yeah, it sits in my in my front room. The the thing I always think about resonator guitars. The first person I think of is Graham Lister from Red Dwarf, because he had a resonator. <laughs>
0: He had a resonator. I was thinking of well obviously the Mark Knoffler. Was was oh, is it C W Stone King that yeah, played, yeah, yeah, plays yeah. one
1: as well, doesn't he? I think but now like as I've sort of delved more and more into Americana and Bluegrass, you see more and more of them around. I mean Bonnie Ver is like the classic one. First yeah. album era Bonnie Ver. Uh, but I've been listening to this stuff like, you know, Nickel Creek, Molly Tuttle, people like that. How many guitars do you think you've owned? Too many. Too many. Yeah, so we'll we'll go back to being a poor, poor council estate kid. Yeah. Uh, in Presswich, getting my first advance and getting a publishing advance and being given such a ludicrous amount of money. What are you took that? Two thousand and four. Two thousand and five. Two thousand and five. Okay. I'd talk- got the record deal and I'd got an accountant. I had an agent. I had my manager, and I remember going to the accountant's office just after I'd signed the deal, and he was like, "We're not going to be able to set up your business account in time to do any of this." So you're gonna have to get the first advance into your personal account, and he's like, "I don't know what it's gonna hit, but it's gonna hit." And my girlfriend at the time, we'd worked at the same credit card centre, and she'd taken a day off, and I'd stayed at her house where her parents lived in Bramall in Cheshire. And I remember one day just walking down into the village and checking my account, and there being 17 grand in it, and I was just like, "Oh, things have changed." <laughs> And we immediately went into town and I bought, like, a, a modern J45 Gibson. Um, and that's, that's where it all started. It got really dirty really quick. I met a guitar broker who worked around the Northwest who dealt specifically in vintage guitars and they had a thing for Gibsons. And I bought a 63 Hummingbird. Let's list them now. 63 Hummingbird, 64 J45, a 62 J200, but a Gretsch countryman, like a modern one, a '64 Casino, which, a sixth, right, okay, 60, we'll, we'll, which we've we'll, seen in the uh, yeah. in the in various YouTube videos, uh, a, se- a 970 Telecaster in Olympic white, which I still feel sad about getting rid of. A couple of the Gretches, uh, two modern Martins, a Hoffner and I think that might be it. There might be more, but it really so- like a
0: lot of money. From having that money in your account, though, if you add all that up, I mean... I mean this,
1: that, like It, it wasn't it, all on one day. No, no, this, this was over the course of maybe two or three years <laughs> through, like, publishing, and it was good because when I'd stopped being able to pay my mortgage, I could just sell a vintage guitar and it and yeah, it was fine. Yeah. Paul Weller tried so, to buy my casino off me. Okay, so tell us, tell us about, tell that. about that. So he It was, was the same, wasn't it? It was the same one. Yeah, exactly much. the same one. So he was playing a show in Manchester at the arena and he on tour had snapped the headstock off his off his casino and the guitar broker who had bought it off said Weller has broken his casino and he's after another and I just said over the phone look he can borrow it for the night if he wants to like it you know and this broker said something along the lines of poor Weller doesn't borrow casinos he buys casinos and I just hung up was just like well okay, I'm not having any of that Uh <laughs> and, and that's that's how it works out, but yeah weller it's like a Weller guitar and a, and a Beatles guitar, isn't it? yeah, 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 and uh, when I sold it, it stayed within my family, like within the kind of musical fraternity of friends, so I still use it from time to time. but as I was just finding that I was doing more and more of the sort of shows that I'm doing where we are tonight at the uh, at the servant Jazz quarters in Dalston, I was just playing acoustic more and doing solo shows, and it was more of what I was into, so I was just like I'm not really that stressed if i let it go. And that's when I bought bought these as well. So,
0: and, and these things are, you know, they've got great stories when you get them, and I suppose if you, when you sell them on, they be it's it all part of the yeah, story, sure. and it goes to somebody. As long as it goes yeah, to somebody, I
1: think that casino had belonged to Wags from the Happy Mondays before me. Oh. and he sold it at, at the Johnny Roadhouse, and uh, he had uh, like run out of money, and I was the only person in Manchester with money at the time. So, because I, I just got publishing, so I bought it. But everyone wanted it, and I got it. And do you,
2: need, do
0: you need they want to put some tunes on now? Okay, um, we had to. Uh, we were sitting in the basement of the venue that Liam's playing in this evening in Dalston, and the bar needed to open basically. So we've moved now into the back of a people carrier, which was parked outside. Um, we didn't break in, we know the person that owns it. So um, if things sound a bit different, it's because we're sitting in a car now rather than underneath a stage. Anyway, Liam, um, we were talking about your, frankly, ridiculous collection of vintage guitars. Do you, um, were you sorry to see them go? Are you sad that you don't own them anymore? I think because,
1: I mean, every single one of those acoustic guitars I put a pickup in, and if you know much about like, the vintage guitar community... It always devalues them to put them in. Mm. It's not a huge amount, but it always devalues them. And sometimes you see guitarists that will, you know, put the pickup in at the sound hole because I used to use humbucker pickups at the time, and then let the wire hang out and maybe just tape it to the side. But no, I, I I like tidiness, and I was willing to take the hit because I had more money than sense at the time, and I think you know, coupling that with the fact that I just I've always seen the guitar as a tool for songwriting rather than something to kind of shred on and be this big showman, like shredding away. It was never that painful for me to get rid of them. That said, there's maybe one or two that I was saddened to get rid of. And I think one of them was definitely the 60s J45. Mm -hmm. It was in like a a kind of red burst. It's quite a rare colour and it sounded amazing. It used to be the J200 because it looked the coolest. Yeah. But wasn't as good sounding. It was one of the J two hundreds that was like the um Pete Townsend, so it had the Gibson tunematic bridge in it, like a metal bridge. Yeah, okay, I know. Which meant that, you know, it was metal onto the wooden bridge and then you were that was the tone you were getting. So it, it was missing that kind of wood on wood tone that you get from a from a guitar with a, a wooden or a bone bridge. And I just didn't like it as much, whereas that J forty five was like an absolute killer. And maybe the 70s Olympic White Telecaster. Yeah. But that didn't stick around for long. There's one guitar that we'd miss in talking about, which missed at the um at the beginning uh, when we were going through the vintage guitar list. And it was a 50s Gibson like arch top jazz guitar. <laughs> and it's got a pretty wild story behind it. I think that I got it when I got rid of the J two hundred. And there was a guitar shop that opened on Oxford Road in Manchester where I was living at the time. I was selling vintage gear. I'm not naming the guitar company. I don't think they exist anymore. They're based in London as well. You can start making your own assumptions. And most people that are in guitar, into guitars will probably know of them anyway and know which one I'm talking about. And I'd use some of the J200 money to buy this arch top. And I was into it, but I wasn't super into it. And I got back in touch with that guitar broker about doing a switch, and he was like, "I'll give you some money, plus this Everly Brothers J185, which, in retrospect, is another one I'm a bit sad. Even though this, the stars on it, like the Everly Brothers acoustics, have stars on the uh, the inlays instead of the yeah. you know, usual abalone or pearl uh, inlays that you got on the neck." And he was like, "I'm going to take it back to this shop as soon as I've got it from you." and I can't tell you why, but you might hear about it down the line. So he does that. And then a couple of weeks later, I see this news thing come up about some European gangsters stealing a massive collection of guitars from this Italian guitar museum. And this this company had been done for it. And it was quite clear that I would basically had stolen goods in my flat. And it was like a 50s Gibson Electric. Yeah, another one in retrospect that was a super super cool guitar that I kind of wish I had but it was stolen so and yeah I just had, had that in my house and the Everly Brothers guitar was cool so yeah, yeah it's, it's probably best like to get rid of that then if there's
0: European gangsters involved as
1: well yeah sure um so a lot of guitars a lot of guitars I went through because I was 23 24 with a, a lot of money for what it was at the time and zero cents wouldn't change a thing I've still not got any sense <laughs> but i've just not got the money to go and spend ludicrous amounts on guitars now. Uh,
0: the other guitars that you've got with you tonight are um the harmony guitars,
1: right? Harmony and a Silvertone. Yeah, so. so they've got
0: a really sort of interesting history those brands. They're like um sort of catalog or supermarket guitars from That's the right, states yeah. aren't they?
1: Yeah, so it's 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 almost like going back to the the Argos honour mm. in a way, but slightly better made with nicer woods and from the 60s. I first saw a Harmony acoustic on the cover of a Pete Molinari record whose music I still haven't heard but I should be into because I know that Springsteen likes And I just saw the headstock of the Harmony Sovereign and thought, man, that's a really pretty headstock like, it's got a, a specific decal on it, hasn't it? And uh started just like looking for cheap cheaper acoustic guitars. I was just like, what can I get that's cool? it's a little bit cheaper that I know that no one else is going to have and I started just looking through these harmony forums and there's this kind of folklore around them that are these guitars that were made for the Sears catalogue in the US I think up until relatively recently but they became known as the Poor Man's Martin because they had the same bracing and a lot of the same woods but they were just cheaper made mm. um, but they came to prominence because it was a guitar well the, I think Rolling Stones might have used them at one point, but it was the acoustic guitar that was used on Led Zeppelin, 4, so Stairway, all that kind of thing. It's like a specific code. It was this Harmony Sovereign H1260. So I just started Googling around and trying to find people that were kind of fixing them up and doing them and selling them on, and I found this guy in Cornwall on eBay that was buying and selling harmonies, like he'd buy them and fix them, The reason that they need fixing is because the necks on them were really badly attached. Mm. So what they need is a complete neck reset with a shem uh, putting in, kind of underneath the bit where the the neck joins the body. Um, But once they've done that, they're just cannons, fucking incredible guitars. So the first one I got was, I'll explain it this way, so Harmony had a couple of other kind of brand names that it went under, and I think there was K and Silvertone. Maybe a couple more, and I had the silver tone version of the H1260 Harmony Sovereign, and it's it's really good. It's really good guitar. One of the best I've ever played. Like more than the like seven grand 60s J200 that I had at one point. It's they're really cool, and I just fell for it immediately, and I've stuck with it since. Between that and the other Harmony that I've got, I had a 70s Guild, mm-hmm. like a sort of small bodied, uh, almost like parlor style kind of thing. Yeah. And in those years, I was a little bit leaner, like I'd done a lot of running, a lot of weightlifting. And I looked, I looked, I looked like a candlelight guitar, but as I kind of like stacked on a little bit more weight, it just, I started looking like fucking George Formby or something. So it just made less sense to have it. So I traded it in with the guitarist from the Slowdown, Drew, who still has it, so it's still in the family. I traded it with him for a Harmony Rocket Electric, which I'd advised him to buy anyway. And then got rid of that and I bought the Harmony Sovereign with the headstock. The thing about that one is it's a 60s one. It's from here. It came from Battery Studios in mm-hmm. Wilson Green by the guy who I think co-wrote Torn. So I I think that that guitar might have been on Torn. 90s classic, wow. which would blow my mind. Um, it's not the same as Stairway, obviously. No, but still. But yeah, so I uh, then bought this Harmony H1260 Sovereign. Literally, because I wanted the headstock design, and that was it. And it's not as good a guitar, the silver tone is the, the one that's that's my, number one guitar. Um, and that's that's where we are now. Do you
0: ever go off the guitar?
1: Do you ever get bored of them? Clearly, yeah,
0: yeah, clearly. <laughs> not individual ones, but just as a um, sort of as an instrument because I know that you, you, you know, you play the piano and stuff at home a little bit
1: of piano, yeah. It's like the I wrote a couple of songs from this record on piano because one, I'd got bored of playing the guitar, and I felt like I kind of painted myself into this box of like sad guy on stage with an acoustic guitar, which is great there's nothing wrong with being earnest but every now and then, it'll be that imposter syndrome again or something like that I'll be just like, what the fuck am I doing I need to do something else and I'm not great at the piano and I think that the naivety of what I was doing on the piano lent itself to writing a slightly more simple song and I think just pushing yourself is like kind of a really cool thing to do, so as I kind of move forward doing more stuff, I'll probably do more of it. I was just speaking about um, the Sufjan Stevens record, Age of Ads. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love Sufjan's music anyway. I, I, I still can't like figure out what it is that he actually plays for his acoustic. I'm sure it's like a tenor guitar or something like that. But I was listening to the Age of Ads and I was like, God, like, I don't know how a synthesizer works, Like I, I don't know how any of the knobs work, I don't know anything about like sine waves or filters. Like, what if I just sat down in front of a a synthesizer and, like, maybe tried to write some songs with one of those just just to see how it went? But I do always end up coming back to the acoustic guitar, which is the bread and butter, I suppose.
0: Okay, um, I hope you enjoyed that and that the location move midway through wasn't too jarring. If you'd like to find out more about Liam and his upcoming shows, his website is liamfrost.co.uk and when you're done there go and have a listen to his new album, The Latchkey Kid. Also, go to Star Guitars Instagram page for pictures of some of the guitars we were talking about. You can also email me at, starguitarpodcast at gmail.com or go to Star Guitar Pod on Twitter. Please uh, also leave a comment or rating wherever you got this episode from. It really helps the podcast grow. And finally, um something a bit different to finish on this week. Um As we were moved on from where we started the interview, we didn't really get to hear any of the guitars, really, apart from the out-of-tune resonator. So Liam very kindly offered to send over a recording he made for me. It's a song called Smoke, which is absolutely my favourite song from his new album. He wrote it after um, a personal tragedy and it's a really affecting song all about the passing of time and working out who you are after life throws something terrible at you. It stopped me in my tracks the first time I heard it and I'm made up that he recorded a version just for the podcast. So here's Liam with Smoke and until next week, bye bye.
2: Flag vans and an old suit jacket. You and I were on a tear and running rapid. Time waits for no man, or time has passed me by. Still, you fool, my soul is thirsting It's a bad dream. I've been having every night this week on a balance spring. It's a day late. I was sleeping in this stale maid, treading water Fine you were mine oh mine and was a clearing off in those words we spoke Did you know I was that ghost We are meets the land My father walked the steps in which I stand Now Was I drinking the Kool-Aid when I told you I felt you there In this new loss I feel the weight of you I swear It's a shoulder fake passing car, a half-life ticking. and I bite my time Keep it well here yeah. A book of matches for the latchkey kid I set a fire to my insides One time I said I was the wrong vine You were mine, oh mine And was it clear enough in those words we spoke Did you know I was that ghost We are smoke You hold it up to the light Take a look from both sides Hold it up to the light Say never mind Let it ride What time, oh time Did I wither on the vine You were mine, oh mine and Words are clear enough in those words we spoke Did you know I was that ghost a oh, small